welcome to a crossover episode of La Ventanita. I am your host, Carlos Frias, Miami Herald food editor. Uh, I'm usually joined by Amy Reyes, my trusty, uh, my trusty co-host and editor of Miami.com. But today we got a special co-host because Amy is off having a crab boil with her family. Uh, and so we have Alex Harris, the Miami Herald's environmental writer and a super fan of our guest today. What's up, Alex? Hey, it's going good. I, I'm very glad to see that we're honoring Amy like we really, truly should be as, as such a foundational member of this podcast. I love your background. <laughs> well, Kendall, Kendall, Bay, Kendall Bay is always with us in spirit, as you can see over here. Uh, Kendall Bay is, uh, is, I'm sure she's out listening to us today, trying to see if you're going to steal her job, with, uh, which you just might. You just might. Kendall Bay, if you're out there listening, you better, you better pray Alex messes up today. Yeah, you better okay. run back. Otherwise, I'll be here next week. Uh, no, but seriously, I think uh, I, I you have a great podcast that uh, everybody devoured. Uh, you got you guys did a really cool podcast on a guy who financed uh, a race team by growing marijuana by or rather by growing, selling, importing uh, illegally uh, marijuana back in the eighties. Today he'd be like a he'd be like a hero. <laughs> yeah, no, my man Randy. If you get a chance, it's on all your podcast apps. It's called Smoked, and it was such a, a Florida story. He was an indie race car driver who just he really wanted to race cars. Like, how can I do it? Where can I come up with fast money? And fast money in Florida sometimes means pot smuggling from the Bahamas. Uh, we ended up talking to a lot of old-fashioned 70s and 80s pot smugglers for this story, some of whom uh, are free and clear, some of whom are in retirement communities like the villages still, and it's just a, a blast of a story. So uh, if you get a chance, take a listen. It's funny because I think at one one day we'll see a race car with just like a giant marijuana leaf like right on the hood, and like his car had no sponsorship. So talk about the meat, like, you know, usually, you know, anybody who watches NASCAR or whatever, you know, the first thing is like, well, the number 27 Pillsbury Doughboy car ran well today, and it's like uh, that was no sponsor. Anyway, it was a cool, it was a cool series that uh, you and Amy Driscoll did, so uh, go find it on all the podcasts. Really, it's, it's worth it. It's really rewarding. Um, but no, uh, another reason I wanted you, for you to co-host, Alex, is uh, you helped us do a lot of eating. Uh, we, uh, this week, the, the Miami Herald, did a, we dropped our Miami Spice preview. Uh, we spent a couple weeks before uh, Miami Spice started kind of taking people up on their offers to like check out what their menus were like. Obviously, it's it's not going to be 100 percent reflective of what you might get if you show up to a restaurant and you're not like a member of the media. But it was nice to just kind of get an overview like these are the dishes that are going to be available for X amount of prices. And we put that all online and made it searchable by how much you want to spend, the kind of cuisine that you're interested in and what part of, part of town you're in. So. Um, you can find that online. So what, what was that like uh, eating for a living? You got you got a little preview? Oh man, if I'm going to steal anyone's job, it's probably going to be yours because <laughs> it was. The, I kept joking it was the greatest perk I've ever experienced at the Miami Herald because I kept showing up and people were like, oh, would you like free food? Absolutely, I want free food. I dragged my fiance with me. I was like, listen, you want to go get real fat on like a bunch of dinners for this month. And it was the best perk. No, it was like, I felt like a celebrity going to these restaurants and that because we got there before officially Miami Spice started. So we we're the only people and they knew who we were and they're like, okay, we're making the Miami Spice menu special for you. It was most of the time a very fun experience. So let me ask you, how many actual journalists did you see during your Miami Spice visits? Zero. Zero. And that's why we never do these things only at Miami Spice time, because usually they're kind of like PR 
uh, influencer events. And there were folks who were just like feeding at the trough. And uh, that's why I'm not, yeah. I'm not a fan of, that's why we don't do stuff like that. We don't, if we do any kind of reviews, we usually just, we go anonymously, we pay, you know, we don't, we don't uh, announce where we are and we pay our own way a hundred percent of the time. But these things are, it's a peek behind a curtain <laughs> of, of how, uh, how like influencers operate. Yeah, no, it made a lot of sense. Uh, just, you know, because this is specifically the thing I love about Miami Spice is it's just for locals, right? And that's what uh, makes it fun is that in the summer, there's not as many people hanging around these restaurants and you go and, you, you know, this is your opportunity to try all the fancy restaurants you've been meaning to and haven't had a chance to go. And there's just so many for Miami Spice. So I thought it made a lot of sense for the Herald to do it. And uh, I, I'm going to say that every single year, you should do this every year and invite me every year. To do it. <laughs> all right. So give us... Give us the best one that you had and give us your horror story. Cause I know I'm already thinking of the horror story. I, uh, I'll go with the good one first. Uh, no shade to any of these restaurants at all, but I, I had never been to Komodo in Brickle, which if you haven't been really cool vibes for this restaurant, it's like kind of a jungly thing outside, sleek red and black on the inside, fancy crisp outfits for the waitstaff. Um, and we showed up and rather than having to choose, you know, for Miami spice, you usually get an appetizer, an entree, a dessert. They were like, we're going to bring you one of everything. Oh boy. Excuse me. They brought us one of absolutely everything on the menu. And I felt like a, a goddess. It was amazing. And it, uh, the food was really amazing. It was really, really good. And everyone was really wonderful. And I got a chance to try like absolutely everything. We took like half of it home because two people can't eat seven entrees, uh, unless yeah. we had prepared. Um, but the other version, which I, it, it did felt like, um, it made up almost for the first one, which was not the restaurant's fault. It was my fault for poor researching. For those who haven't been, there's a, a club restaurant in Winwood uh, called Miami. They are right next to 1-800 Lucky. Yes, that is. Imagine that, but like ten times louder <laughs> the whole night. And also, you are next to 1-800 Lucky, which also has a DJ. And we, like geniuses, chose to sit on the wall that like was right between the two restaurants. Uh-huh. So we got competing baselines. Battles Couldn't speak to each other the whole night. It was like, all right. <laughs> Did you have you and your and your significant other made up after you made them go there? Uh, there was a moment after that where we were walking out of the car, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't want to go to Miami Spicy Mark. Go find some new friends. <laughs> Take somebody else." But the Komodo experience made up for it. He's like, "This is what I was talking about." Like, okay. <laughs> I I was I have always had this Komodo story in my in my head of, um, there was a guy who went to the Salt Bay restaurant. Uh, because that you only go to that restaurant because you want to flex. Like mm-hmm. they have a steak that is wrapped in gold that is like a thousand dollars, and that guy went to that restaurant and was uh, expecting to spend maybe a couple thousand and end, or, or maybe a few hundred, ended up spending a couple thousand, and it became like a, a, a whole thing. I ended up writing about it because they Salt Bay's people called the police, which they apparently do all the time. And I remember talking to the guy and he's like, you know, I'm used to spending lots of money. Like I go to Komodo and we order bottles and I'm like, yeah, yeah. You'll probably spend a, you know, a, a grand if you go to Komodo and order some bottles. So that was my, I was like, okay, Komodo is the place where you go and, and you'll have, and you'll have some, some good food. No, but and I, I love that story though, because it was just, it sounded like it was one ridiculous thing, right? Which is that, okay, who's going to pay a thousand dollars for a steak? Obviously anyone is going to put it on Instagram. But the fact, I, I love that you followed up with how often he called the police and people couldn't pay their bills. Not just like, you know, hey, we'll figure it out later, but straight to the cops every single time, all the time, which uh, feels on brand for uh, that gentleman and his history in South Florida. There were no winners in that story. All mm-hmm. those were all, there were not, there was not a hero in that story. 
but but I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you had you had a good experience uh, and and ate your way through uh, through the Miami Spice preview. So um, yeah, that's all online now. People should find it. I think it's I think it's pretty helpful um, to get kind of like a real feel for what some of those places are like. And we picked places that that we thought were interesting. Like I went to um, uh, Cote, spelled C O T E. A lot of folks, you know, because we're in Miami, they're like they're like, is that Cote? Like Dale? No, it's uh, it's Cote, which is actually the the um, uh, hostess was saying, she's like, you could say it, Cote like Dale. She's like, but it's coat, like put on a coat. Um, and was that, that your place, favorite? Um, I actually, that one was good because that it's the only, it's the only restaurant that has a Michelin star that attempted to stay within the price barriers and they only offered at lunch. So we went for lunch and it was filling and it was, uh, and it was kind of like wetting your appetite for coming back and trying the full scale restaurant. My favorite was this place called Abale, Abale Tel Avivian Kitchen. Uh, it's on South Beach, but don't hold that against it. Um, it's uh, it's on the south of Fifth Side, uh, on on a hidden little street. It's not very busy, uh, although it is, it is next to Planta, uh, but but it's not. It's that street is not generally very busy. And um, Sam Gornstein, who who founded My Ceviche. Uh, is there? Uh, he also was the head chef at um, at Zouk, Z U U K for a long time. That place was kind of like a like a Mediterranean inspired. So he's there now with um, with Hetty Goldstein, who is uh, uh, is kind of like the pastry queen um, who started at Michael's Genuine. She makes amazing, incredible pastries, and the place is all like uh, I would call it like pan Middle Eastern. Um, so huh. yeah, like his family are Syrian background, um, so he brings a lot of like kind of Middle Eastern influences uh, and with like, and the idea of Tel Aviv is kind of like a cosmopolitan city, you know, in the Middle East with lots of influences. So, and the food is really fantastic. Like all yeah. kinds of like, um, like there's a whole selection of tahinis that you can dip Ooh. and they're incredible. So good. No, I, I love, I love that. It sounds like a killer combo, but also on your South Beach reference, something else I liked about our Miami Spice Guide is we included parking information, which yes. to me is my number one thing whenever I try to go eat out in Miami-Dade. I'm just like, time to go brave Brickle. Like, where am I in the city center? Am I going to get lost again? Because I definitely got lost the last time I parked there. I didn't know there was three separate underground parking garages. It took me about half an hour to find my car. It was great. Would not recommend. Use all your apps. Take your pictures, folks. Don't do not do what I did. Yeah, the parking garages, I think, are the same. I think Miami Miami Beach gets a lot of grief, South Beach especially, because parking can be rough. But, yeah. like, the the parking garages, those are the jam. Like, that's where you go. It's actually half the price than parking on the street. Did you know that? I did. And then 13th yeah, uh, has the uh, South Beach uh, garage that is the cheapest. Right. It's the right. city-owned one. So that's your pro tip. If you're going to go try to dine anywhere in South Beach and you want to do cheap parking, bring your comfy shoes, not your high heels. Park there and hike. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Good luck, folks not showing up in their high heels on South Beach. That's probably going to happen. That's true. That's true. That's a fair point. So, so the other thing I've been obsessed with this week, because I am, as Connie Ogle says, a sandwich freak. I, I literally just went yes. ahead and put that on my, I just put that on my bio, uh, is that uh, there's a new, there's a new Cuban sandwich book out um, that, uh, um, and it's written by folks in Tampa. And of course you feel like they're going to say, they're going to just make it in, into kind of a polemic about Miami versus Tampa and claiming that Tampa is, but it's really a fascinating book because they kind of threw out uh, the emotional arguments and they looked at primary sources. So the guy spent years, a guy by the name of Andrew Hughes, who's a, who's an archivist, a librarian for 20 plus years uh, for the university of South Florida, special collections. 
he was like the lead author on this and um and and went to like primary sources that means like as far back as you can see old restaurant menus old newspaper stories stuff that you could find in cuba and found that there were two new players in the cuban sandwich origin story uh one of them everyone will immediately hate and that is new york there's a yeah. 1901 reference that you immediately I'm, I'm hate that say, right hardcore no i'm not even from south florida but I don't care if it's based on facts and data and like historical documents. The New Yorkers can't have this. They've taken so much from us. No, they don't get to take it. I, I refuse to believe that. That's fake news. Yeah, no, it's uh, so here's a book right here. Uh, and and uh, one of the co-authors is Jeff Houck, who used to be a, uh, a restaurant critic um, for uh, for the Tampa Tribune. And he is really one of the most gifted writers I know. And he just devotes himself to food and really one of the most interesting guys um, but let me tell you, they looked at primary sources and like I read, like I saw the newspaper clippings and it's, you know, new, but that there's a fair point, which is in at the turn of the century, in 1900, there was more media in New York City than there was in Tampa, for instance, or Miami, you know, or uh, but but also have I mean, Havana. I, so the other city in the conversation is Havana and kind of what it boils down to is that like. All of the Cuban sandwiches that we know that exist now, uh, they kind of started with this proto-Cuban sandwich that uh, that started in Havana, like that there's that they have stuff going back, you know, to the turn of the century where it was like always ham, pork, um, pickles, and mustard, and always like a weird third ingredient, like and by weird I mean like mortadella, uh, yes, foie gras. What we call it, like, like a, well, they called it like a liver pate, which Cubans make this thing called una carne fria. It's, it's tra- translates to like cold meat. Cold meat, yeah. And, it just, and it's like a cold cut, like, and it's una carne fria. So there was that in it. Uh, layers of chicken, layers of uh, turkey. Turkey shows up in so many versions, Alex. because Because sandwiches at that time were a rich person's food. It was literally... Yeah. Like a little petty for, like they would, like with ladies would have at their parties, and uh, as Jeff as Jeff uh, Hauk told me, he's like, you know, if a rest, if a sandwich had, if you were eating something that had more than one protein in it, it was like a flex. It was the original gold wrap steak. I guess that does make sense, right? Because like, who's gonna go like kill a turkey and also get a pig and also this? Only the rich folks. Okay, but I need to know your take now that you have you are the most learned Cuban sandwich man in all the land. Where do you think they came from? All right. Where I, you on the hot spot? I am, I'm literally just going to go on sources. Like, I have no dog in the fight. As a matter of fact, I've had Cuban sandwiches with salami in them, and they're good. And at home, I make them with chorizo because I think the chorizo adds a nice flavor. That was another thing that showed up. So I think, obviously, like, I think what we have is, like, the human evolutionary debate where you have, like, there is a common ancestor, and then you have... All of these versions that sprout out from it, some of these died, and we live in and we live in times where like where Neanderthal and anatomically modern human live together at the same time, and that's where you have the Tampa Cuban sandwich and the Miami Cuban sandwich, and those are the two most acceptable versions. I'm sure there's some version that's like uh, in in uh, as this guy said, there's probably some version in in Montana with liverwurst in it, you know, but that's. <laughs> That's like the part of the family that nobody talks about. So, or Rocky Mountain oysters, or something a little bit more local. Exactly. No. Like, like it is very America to like take something that exists in another place 
and then call it, give it a name and be like, we invented this. And isn't that what TikTok does with like, you that know, is, like they, you know, it's got a term. It's called Columbusing. When of you course. take someone else's idea, like a dance or whatever on the internet and, or a meme and you pretend you made it up yourself, people will accuse you of Columbusing. Yeah. So all the research is, research is pointing towards Columbusing. But also that the, the term like that thing starts to pop up in several places at the same time. So so not Miami, because Miami came along. Cubans in Miami came along much further, uh, further down the timeline. Um, but like Tampa, New Orleans, uh, New York um, and, and Havana, because like New, New Orleans had a lot of a big sugar. Um, I, would say, I would love to know whatever New Orleans' take on Cuban sandwiches. I bet it's delicious. I don't care right. what they put in it. Maybe like shrimp, whatever. I'm down. I'm sure it's oh, great. Man. Cuban sandwich with some scrimp in it? I'm okay with that. Yeah, dude. Oh, you're going to put some Cuban sandwich. You're going to put some scrimp in that Cuban sandwich. Oh, I'm going to be delicious. Please. Very good, very good. Thank you, thank you, Ryan. So, yeah, so the book is really good. It's it's 25 bucks, and um, I got it I got it from University, uh, University of Florida Press or University Press of Florida. And, uh, and I recommend it. It's a quick read. I literally read it in a day, uh, but only because I really wanted to read it in a day. But And, and you are a sandwich freak, as we have previously established. That's a very good term for you. Yeah, <laughs> and my, my plancha is still is in the hands of the, of the, of the sandwich uh, aficionados, um, and, and they're, they're in the process of getting it in shape. Uh, they're, they're called uh, Sunshine Polish and Plating. I, I really want to drop their <laughs> names because, like, like, like I already paid. Okay. So I'm not getting anything from it, but I think that like, like they do really cool things. Like they find like, like they do all kinds of plating of all cut from like car parts to, you know, uh, to like refurbishing lamps and stuff. So sunshine polish and plating. So we'll see, we'll see how it turns out. I'm well, you're going to have to update us. We need, we need photos of whatever, please God, make it a real sandwich that you make using it once you get it back. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, will, I, I think the first sandwich I make on it is going to have to be a Cuban sandwich, right? Like, that would make sense. Just yeah. to rechristen it again. Right. All right. So I think I've made you suffer long enough uh, as a super fan. Uh, and so I want to talk about our guest today, who is Rain Roada. Uh, so Rain's Homestead Farm, Miami Fruit, figured out early on that if they posted videos of the phallic looking rare exotic fruit that they grow, those videos would go viral. Imagine that the internet likes phallic things, uh, but it was more than that. Rain and his partner uh, Adele Schlegel have been growing ultra rare exotic fruit in the Redland for more than eight years. Uh, they also partner with hundreds of local farmers to highlight the bounty of tropical fruit that we grow in the Redland, uh, and they sell this fruits uh, this fruit strictly online to the tropical fruit tropical fruit barren places across the country. Uh, so I called him a fruit influencer. I mean, I think that's fair. I think oh, that's yeah. fair. Uh, but Rain is more than just a cute, fruity guy, as Adele said when she first saw him. Uh, he's a talented musician. Um, he's a competitive cyclist. He's going to be uh, going to Italy in the next couple of months uh, for a championship race there soon. Uh, and he's devoted to living kind of an environmentally friendly lifestyle. So I'm very curious to talk with him about it. So let's get into it. Uh, welcome, Rain. Hey, Rain. Hey. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. I'm... Uh... All I can think about is sandwiches now, but um, thanks for having me on. Oh, for sure, man. Like, uh, I like I just felt like that time that we were out there on the farm, like, I always appreciate that because it's so close to Miami. Like, it's, a, you know, it's a 30-minute drive, and yet it's so different from being in the city of Miami. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. always nice to remember that, like, a lot of our food comes from there. Like, a oh, lot yeah. of our food is grown there. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we're right up next to the Everglades. So we're, you know, out in nature. Yeah. And you, and you spend out uh, a lot of time out in nature, not just in the farming, but like in the cycling, like you're a, you're yeah. a gravel, you ride the, the gravel bikes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's the benefit of being out here. I can go two miles West and, and I'm out in the Everglades national park, unlimited gravel, just me and the gators and the birds. Oh, I hope you uh, stay safe on that bike and don't end up being a gator's lunch. Just stay stay <laughs> on that gravel, stay on that little. You know, <laughs> the gators aren't, you know, you don't have to worry about the gators. It's the crocodiles that you have to worry about. And those mm-hmm. you get in the brackish water closer to the ocean. So yeah, people and forget People forget that Miami, because it's funny, I posted, like, I commented on something. You, you guys see that viral video of the old man hitting the hitting the crocodile with a with a skillet? Yeah. You I haven't seen I've that? Seen oh, my God, it's amazing. It's, a, it's like a, a croc comes right at him, and he hits him with a skillet. Bam, bam. And oh I said God. something about Florida grandpas, you know, hit different. Yeah. Uh, God. See, I did a dad joke. So and people, I mean, were like, I, people were like, that's not even a South Florida thing. And I was like, you know, I know that this is Australia, but South Florida does have is one of the few places on earth that has alligators and crocodiles. That's true. Also, that's I think anyone in Florida is used to dealing with all of their reptiles in their own way. Uh, my mom had a snake killing shovel. It was specifically for <laughs> beheading cottonmouths when they came up on us. So, oh you know, I, I had a croc skillet and a snake shovel and you're all good. Oh hey, so do we do we have are we all like uh, like multi generational Floridians? Like I'm I'm first generation Floridian because my folks emigrated. So you know, but you guys are you guys are multi generational Floridians, right? My my dad uh, grew up was born in Miami, grew up in Miami. Uh, my mom was from New York. So does that make me first? Gen- that makes yeah, yeah. me second. You count? No, you count as second, second generation. Yeah. I would think. Yeah, and you. Yeah, are- I- I'm in the same situation. My mom's born and raised here uh, in Central Florida, but my dad is a Yankee. He came from New Jersey, so oh, which, cool. which would explain why your mom is the is the cottonmouth killer. She is indeed. <laughs> she also was my most Florida woman claim to fame is that she was a the very first Cinderella at Disney 50 years ago. So what? I'm a descendant of a Disney princess, uh, wow. which is still not as cool as being the fruit king of South Florida. I think I think that is a more Florida man thing, but I, I that is my fun fact. I don't know, yeah. man. I, suddenly, I feel very low on the totem pole here. I mean, that's that that is pretty impressive. I gotta say, that's pretty impressive. You remember when uh, when Tiger King came out during the pandemic, and of the course. opening scene is in Homestead, Florida. Mm-hmm. Where is that? That where was that farm? Well, I think most most of it happened in Texas or something. But the, the opening scene is in Homestead, and and we were all locked down in Homestead, and all the workers were all like first couple of weeks of pandemic. And, and everyone's like, oh, my God, this is happening here. There's tigers. <laughs> yeah, that's no, the coolest thing ever. Homestead is a really, uh, I would use the word interesting city. There's interesting. so much. I mean, there there yeah. are tigers. There's archery. There's gators. There's the Everglades. And then there's the weirdest fruit known to mankind. It's, weirdest you've got fruit everything ever. you ever need. <laughs> that's true. And there's some really cool farms down here that we have basically databases for hundreds of species. So um, there's a, a farm with hundreds of bananas varieties so all different types of bananas there's a farm with hundreds of avocado varieties 600 uh varieties of avocado there's another mango farm with 500 varieties of mango so there's like some really cool gems down here the fruit and spice park as well which Mm -hmm. has like every edible and like poisonous plant ever so (laughs) don't don't put those two next to each other go for it alex no, I was going to say, I have an avocado question for you. You said there's hundreds. I know, like, 
I think most of us have like the platonic ideal of an avocado, which is the house. And then there's the Florida mm-hmm. avocado. Is there anything that like gets towards the middle where it doesn't taste like water, but also oh, yeah. costs $10 per avocado? Well, there's ton- there's so many and, and there's so many good ones. There's so many different flavors. I think like we tend to think of the Florida ones as being like this big watery kind of almost like sweet, have a sweet flavor. Um, mm-hmm. Those are like the more commercial ones that, that are grown here. But there are really buttery, creamy, thick, oily avocados as well that we grow here. And there's some with edible skin. So you can just like eat it like an apple. Um, those are really fun. I, do I have any here? I think I only have the, the phallic shaped ones here on the shelf for, uh, for you guys. But right. um, that, that, that one right above your head needs a proctologist big time. Uh, the, the, no, there's, you gave me one of those edible, uh, the edible skin ones. Um, and it was great. It was like somewhere between a Haas. It was not quite as rich as a Haas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, uh, and so it leaned a little bit towards, you know, it was a little bit, cause the Haas I find too rich to eat on their own, unless it's, you know, like I, I just find like that, the, it's the the content level of of the mm-hmm. like the the, the omega threes is too strong in it you know like I grew up, and I grew up on the Florida boy yes for <laughs> yeah. sure just put like some vinegar and some salt on it and it's got a, that avocado salad with some shaved white onions that's oh, yeah. that's how that I eat my avocado such a Miami boy yeah no for that sure. is uh, we're we're orange people in the in the central Florida we don't have the the super watery avocados it was very strange to come down here um, when I first moved to Miami that, the fruit was actually the reason I've been following you for so long right is that when I came down here and I went to my very first farmer's market, my mind was blown. I had never mm-hmm. seen even pictures yeah. of half the fruits that were suddenly available. And it was the coolest thing. So I wanted to learn more. And I ended up finding you guys and a couple of other growers down in South Dade and just learning as much as I could about it. And it's really interesting because I think people from other parts, even other parts of the state, don't know half the things behind you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Will, will, will you grab a couple of those and like tell us like what we're looking yeah, at? Yeah, sure. Which which one catches your eye? I know Cacao. those bananas. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Give us cacao and, and one of those bananas. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, there's so, so cacao. Let's see if I can do it without everything falling. I was going to say, over. I don't want to ruin your beautiful uh, setup. <laughs> yeah, oh, so this so is nice. cacao, chocolate fruit. And uh, sorry for the overexposure there. Um, and, and actually, cacao, as you know, we all know about chocolate and the bean inside the dark chocolate cacao nibs. It has a, a delicious fruit as well. So, a white, creamy, uh, tangy, um, really, really delicious fruit around the beans. So this, we eat it raw and then you can create nibs with it, or you can put it in smoothies or smoothie bowls. It's, it's really a lot of fun. And then, um, actually that, for bananas, that, that reminds me of, um, of cashews. Like we had a cashew tree mm-hmm. and like that also has a, that has a fruit and the fruit right. is kind of this sour tart mm-hmm. fruit. My dad, uh, who was a farmer in Cuba, like, he just loved eating that fruit. He grew the fruit yeah. for the, he grew the tree. He raised the tree for the fruit, and like the nuts, like you know, who's gonna go roasting cashew nuts? So it was, it's really funny. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we've got some cool bananas here, and these are a popular banana because these are uh, seeded banana. Oh, See, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You got, you got to get your best like makeup influencer. You got to put the hand behind it. <laughs> oh, behind it is that how it works? Like a YouTube, yes. It balances yeah, out. It's supposed to. I don't to. have the greatest the greatest lighting here, <laughs> but I was going to show you. Oh, I don't even have my knife with me. Let's see. I don't know. Bite oh. it open here. Yes. You yes. can see there's seeds inside of oh. it. Oh yeah, the lighting is oh, terrible, right but on. there's little no, black yeah. seeds, and uh, and so you can plant the seeds and grow them. 
not so fun to eat because they're uh, it's full of seeds. But um, but a cool a cool novelty crop that a lot of people are interested about because everybody wants to know where are the seeds and the bananas. Why are there no seeds? There's seeds in all the other fruit, but none bananas. So, well, it's but. funny that that your business has that's like that seems to be outwardly the biggest fans of your business, folks who are like the the uh, uh, the try anything crowd, right? right. The fear well, factor think- crowd. Well, variety is the spice of life, and everybody likes something unique. You know, it, it, I haven't found anybody that's that's just like, no, I'm, I'm only going to eat blueberries and apples from the store. You know, everybody likes something, whether it's mangosteen or cacao or a giant avocado or a sugar apple or mame. Everybody likes something unique, so that's that's really the the thing we do is we try to have all this diverse offerings, all these different flavors, and and um, you know, everybody finds something they like for sure. You, uh, uh, your, your partner, Adele, uh, she was, she handles all the social media and it's like, mm-hmm. you two, you two are like the Abercrombie and Fitch cover models because like, <laughs> like, they, like, yeah, there she is. Uh, we have a video of her, uh, put her and, and like, she does all the social media. She stars in some of it. And, um, and, and like, it's not, it's not lost on you guys that like, there's a, there's an element of folks that people just like watching what you guys are going to do. Like they just love being interested in like these two people that have this, this farm life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and we work really well together. Um, you know, we, we basically do the, the yin and yang of, of the business and, um, you know, work, work together really well by relying on each other heavily. So it's, it's really fun. And how important would you say like the social media aspect of it is? I feel like you've built up a pretty big community of folks who are like super into this stuff, even though they they don't live down here, they've never been down here. Like what kind of response do you get from your viewers? Yeah. I I mean, it is, you know, today it's not just with me, with, with any business or any organization or anything you do, it has to be online. You have to be able to reach the people and, and um, there's more connectivity than ever. And then there's a, a lot to navigate with, you know, algorithms and changing environments and changing, you know, different apps and different uh, platforms and um, all that jazz. So, you know, uh, we, we, I started, as in the article probably you've, you've read and uh, the viewers have maybe read, um, I started just selling locally here in, in Miami and biking the fruit back and forth from the farm to the market and you know, really just doing that as a, as a response to a demand that people had asked me to do, growers had asked me to do, customers had asked me to do. And, um, and so I called it Miami fruit because it was the fruit of Miami and it was, it was staying here. But, um, you know, people hounded me down and asked me to send it across the country and basically saw my, my personal Facebook posts back in 2013, 2014. And, uh, and so, you know, it just kind of started growing from there because I, I had to make a page so that my inbox and, and my Facebook inbox wasn't flooded. So um, yeah, it's 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 really cool. And and now with the platforms being as big as they are and the following as big as they are, you know, it's it's a it's a global interest. There's there's most of our customers, obviously all of our customers in the U.S. and Canada, um, but there's people in other countries all over the world that are following us and learning about the fruit and they want to grow the fruit there and. Um, so that's really cool as well. Um, I, there was a, um, there's an aspect to what you guys do that it's like, uh, it's, it's, um, kind of revealing all the stuff that's happening in the Redland. Like you kind of make this, 
you make farming feel cool. Like these things, look at me, I'm growing these, these exotic fruits on the farm. And, and you, and yet right behind you in that photo, the photo that we're looking at, if you're on the audio podcast, listen, sorry, you're going to miss out, but check it out online. Um, you guys created this really cool growing system. Um, you're experimenting with this growing system that is quote unquote hurricane proof, right? Yeah. So you can, so you keep the trees small, uh, so they can be supported and immediately start fruiting. And then like, uh, you know, so if a hurricane hits, they stay small and they, they'll start fruiting pretty soon after that. So that's like, I, I think that the, 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 the prettiness of what you guys do and like the, like the virality of it, uh, belies all this real farming research that you guys are doing underneath, which I find fascinating. Like thinking about yeah. the future of growing in the agricultural region of South Florida. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just really passionate about fruit and really passionate about what we do. So I think that's, you know, that's why we've, we've come this far and, and done as well as we have just because we've haven't given up, even though it's been uh, many years of, of, you know, just uphill, uphill, uh, piecing things together. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're trialing new species and we're trying to see what, you know, what fruits we can grow here that will actually be a sustainable and economic crop for growers in a in an agricultural economy that's dying in a in a zone that's being squeezed out you know if you if you can see my video we're we're up against the everglades and so housing's coming in and people are moving down and farms are getting sold and um so in order to have anything green here any any fruit growing um it has to be something that's very economically safe for the grower something that, you know, we can't get anywhere else. We can't grow it up in the central Florida or higher up, and we can't import it from another country for, for a handful of reasons. So um, we're just investing in trying to grow those types of crops and see what we can get away with, um, especially since the climate is changing and, and we're not getting as severe winters as we used to. Um, we can kind of get away with some things. Uh, so, so that's our goal. And then on top of that, we'd like to try to implement the most up-to-date practices for high density and high productivity so that growers can not just grow something, but they can produce it at a scale where um, there's, there's, there's more fruit per acre. There's, they can get more for their land and, uh, and try to produce, you know, and, and make sure that they can, you know, afford to have a farm. Yeah, and I want to jump in on what you said there, because that's what I cover. So I cover climate change for the paper. And one of the things I've heard about ag in South Dade is that, you know, our zones are sort of changing as it gets warmer. Mm -hmm. And they're already starting to change and will continue to change. And I've heard all these stories about, you know, we can grow vanilla, we can grow coffee. And I heard this fabulous story about this woman who grew this incredibly huge breadfruit tree in her mm -hmm. yard in downtown Miami, which as far as I understand, is something that you know wouldn't have been possible 15, 20 years ago. Like, what has your been, your experience been of what things can we grow now that we didn't used to, or that we are about to lose the ability to grow? Yeah, and and absolutely, just as you said, there's all these crops that we're familiar with that we can get away with growing here, um, at least at a at a kind of homeowner scale, right? You can. I think it's really cool that you can have a coffee tree in your backyard or a breadfruit tree in your backyard in Miami. And, uh, and, and use, you know, have one or two of these different things that we all know how to use and everybody likes, um, you know, coffee and, and cacao and even vanilla. Um, 
you know, but as far as uh, like a commercial, you know, a farm that has to produce and have have, uh, you know, margins that we were comparing to the grocery store, we're comparing to imports. Um, our goal is to try to, to find things that aren't available elsewhere, or aren't allowed into the country or um, are too perishable to get in, even if they were allowed. Um, so that way, you know, we're not competing with with, uh, you know, the coffee in a different, you know, in a different country that's coming in, that's already being produced at a huge scale. Um, when we're not competing with the breadfruit from the Dominican Republic, um, we want to grow things that are, that are more unique and, and novel. And then a- as we're growing them, we're, we're also testing the, the market and to see what, uh, feedback we get from customers and how much they really want this crop. So we can grow a hundred trees here and then see what the demand is. And if, if the demand is really high, then we know we've got a winner. The so. you you mentioned the you know stuff that you bring in from the outside, but even stuff, even stuff that you're used to getting, like you know I you know I'll, I'll get like pineapples from mm-hmm. from Publix, and sometimes they're like inedible, they're like super sour, and yeah. and uh, and yeah. pineapples one of those things where like it's the most delicious when it's turns oh, it's, that, that beautiful orange right on the plant. And, and most people have never tried a good pineapple, and and they're blown away when they when they try one of ours. Um, and and we've grown a lot of pineapples, you know, thousands and thousands of pineapples on our farm, and we've kind of developed a little system to to grow them that you know at least we can you know produce a lot per acre. However, um, you know, as we know with the way that the internet works and how what what goes viral, right? Um, it's hard to get people to try a pineapple. Because they're they're not going to understand how they much think they've had a pineapple, right? Yeah, they, they think they've they had, had it's a, pineapple. a pineapple. But if yeah. you have, you know, if you have a blue pineapple or a red pineapple, then maybe you've got something going. So, um, you know, it, it, there has to be a certain amount of appeal, and it's and it's definitely not to say that looks are everything, but um, but it but it has to be coupled with something novel and something exciting and something that's off the beaten path. Uh, in order for people to really want to try it and and to pay you know pay money that that you can only afford to do in in an uh, American economy with American labor and American land prices um, and you know it's 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 tough it's tough in North American land prices in the USA I mean right um, sort of like a finger limes versus key limes right like it's an incredibly agriculturally impressive thing to be say I can grow key limes in South Florida without mm-hmm. all the mold and pests. People are like, eh, I've had a lot, but ooh, it's in the shape of a finger. It's so much more interesting. People will buy that. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and it's it's tough, you know, because the 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 way that the world's working now is is really heavily leaning on imports for for products and for for most food items. So um, we're used to having really cheap stuff, and and it's because the land and the labor and and everything is is orders of magnitude cheaper and. You know, so we we just have to really focus on on specialty items, focus on things that are off the beaten path and exciting, and and it's nice to have um, some agriculture in your local community. It's nice to have, you know, some fruit that's produced here, and so we we want to try to keep that going. Where where can folks? Uh, are, is there anybody locally that's using your fruit your fruit in in their food? Like, are there any chefs that you're working with that they're using your? Stuff? Oh yeah, um, you know I'm I'm not the best person to know offhand, but um, but I know we send a good amount of fruit to chefs you know across the country, 
Um, I know we used to have, there was a, a, a restaurant called Plant um, that used to use our mame in their, in their dishes and a couple other items. Um, I think they, they're going through a reopening, and that was that's in Wynwood, I think. In Wynwood, yeah. Um, they were doing something really, they were, yeah. they were the original Planta, so to speak. Yeah, they are Plant, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a handful of, of items. I think that, like, the cacao is really popular and the passion fruit um, and the granadilla. Um, you know, mame, of course, they're, they're really popular because they're, you can use small amounts of that and kind of spread them out and have them in different dishes. Um, you know, like one cacao bean on top of the chocolate mousse or whatever. And, uh, even sprouted coconut has had some excitement too. You know, I, I I was going to say, I remember you're talking about how some of the stuff is so much more available now. Like when I was a kid growing up, we had a mame, a very fickle mame tree in the backyard and when the when my dad would hear the weather report that it was gonna get near freezing temperatures, we'd be out in the yard throwing like a sheet over it to yeah. keep the frost from laying on it. So like me and my dad out at you know eleven o'clock at night trying to get a sheet over a giant mame tree, like that's and now you can you can get them at Publix. You know what I mean? Also yeah. now what frost? I don't know what yeah, that exa- is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what fr- exactly what frost? Yeah, and like the and the mames that you guys are growing are. And and sourcing uh, locally are these, they're almost like ice cream, like, you know, which yeah. is how I like to eat them just like right out of the, instead of making a shake, I just like eating the raw They're so good. They're, they're so good. So yeah. like, but but like this, the idea of growing and, and, and farming and, and knowing where your food comes from. It's, it's part of like a lifestyle in general for you, right? Like the, the cycling, all of that fits into uh, yeah, it, about who you are. It's definitely a, a passion and it, it definitely spawned from, you know, a desire to get close to our food system and learn how to grow things for ourselves and, and get better quality fruit as well. Um, you know, like you said, there's a difference between the pineapple in the store and the pineapple you grow here locally. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's sort of a foodie passion that, that spawned the, the curiosity that got me from going from saxophone to to agriculture. Um, and, and so for us, it's really important. You know, we, we, we eat tons of fruit, you know, we have always have great fruit on hand and that's like the perk of the job. That's what keeps us going. It's, it's funny that you, uh, that you, there's a story you told me where, um, you're like, you know, if I keep doing this, or I think it was your dad that told me, he's like, you know, he was at the point where like, if I keep, if I keep playing music, you went to new world school of the arts, you were at the Brubeck Institute, which, uh, you know, Dave mm-hmm. Brubeck was a, you know, a, a legendary jazz musician who started this institute in, in California. Uh, graduate of that. And like, you're, you're like, you said, you know, I, I could, my career could be playing the saxophone for Steely Dan. And you were like, you, you were like, my career is playing the saxophone for Steely Dan. And your dad is like, your career could be playing the saxophone <laughs> for Steely Dan. And, it, and your dad, who's, who's also into a landscape, who's got a landscaping business. It's funny that you guys saw that two different ways. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it was really nice because I, I got to taste a lot of the professional world for music. I got to tour and teach and record and, and, um, you know, see a lot of the U S and, and do jazz festivals and all that stuff. So I, I got like the, the craving was fulfilled and I got, I got, uh, it was satisfied and I, I got to try a lot of things and, you know, at the end of the day, I, I had other interests as well. Um, it's not to say that music's 
done forever. But um, but I I I went out to, on a limb to try something new and fell in love with that as well. And and um, not just that, but but I found that I was very useful to my community. I'll, I'll, everyone was asking me to do the things that I ended up doing and that I'm doing today. Um, it wasn't uh, you know a entrepreneurial um, desire or I, I didn't I never thought of starting a business or um, or being a boss or any of that stuff like it just I just started working at a farm and kind of the rest is history so it kind of feels like that's its own lifestyle right you know biking everywhere in the Everglades being a part of the agricultural community living where you live in South Dade what I mean what do you what do you love about living in the Redlands what do you love about being part of that agricultural community well, I mean, there's there's so much. Um, I, it's I guess it's hard to to put myself out of it and and think about you know what it would be like to be a normal person. But I uh, I I love riding my bike. I love being outside. I love uh, doing things with my hands and and you know accomplishing things day by day and and seeing the trees grow and seeing the the, the change of the seasons through. Even though we don't have seasons, we have the each crop has its own season and they flower and they fruit and then they defoliate. Um, so for me, that's, that's fulfilling and, and exciting. Um, but, but again, I think just doing something that the community is asking of you and getting a, a reward in, in a sense that, you know, you're able to fulfill the requests of the community. Um, and it, it started just being a local thing where I'm selling at the markets, but now I'm fulfilling the requests of, of the country and, and of people all over the country that they want to try long neck avocado and monstera deliciosa. And so we're, we're, you know, now we're putting more monstera in the ground. So it's, it's a, it's a long-term fulfilling project for me. My, it's funny. You, um, I, I mentioned my, my cousin Frank has been riding bike down here. He pretty much knows everybody. Uh, and I was like, have you heard of this kid rain? And he's like, yeah, that guy is freakishly strong. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's because like his bike you know a cyclist they're all he's like i don't know where like i don't know where that comes from like that guy was built to ride bike faster than most people which i thought was you really tell me tell me it comes from pedaling 500 pounds of fruit from homestead to miami beach and back oh, yeah. <laughs> that's endurance training for you just a little yeah. bit more organic <laughs> yeah especially if the, you get a headwind and the wind's coming on you then you know then then it's really hard but like so much with cycling, like especially when you're doing a sport like that, where you'll burn 10,000 calories like that. Like mm -hmm. I, I think your dad mentioned at one point that you were like a fruitarian. Like it takes a <laughs> lot to like just do that, get that kind of calories just pounding fruit, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think um, you know, there's a certain point at where you, if you're burning more than five or 6,000 calories in a day, you really have to focus heavily on carbs. And so I would do a lot of like, um, you know, dehydrated bananas which are you know a, a easily digestible you know high calorie food it's not like um i wasn't eating apples and grapes you know for for fuel but you know if you uh if if you uh, burning ten thousand calories a day you have to eat a lot of carbs because you can't eat protein and fat and you can't you you'll get full and you'll have to lay down and you won't be able to eat enough calories to keep going so uh, it was pretty integral to to having that high, you know, energetic output to have a really 
I, I don't like to use the word clean diet, but having a very like efficient and high calorie um, carbohydrate based diet is really important. So, so. I'm a little bit more familiar with long-term running rather than cycling. And I know that it's really important that you eat your goos and your gels and your snacks. And mm -hmm. this is the one thing where I'm like, Amy should be here to answer this, oh to talk God. about this. But uh, do you do you bring snacks when you cycle? And when you go to Italy, are you going to have dehydrated bananas or any other fruit themed like race snacks? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm eating constantly. Someone asked me the other day, like, are, are you hungry? Like, are you hungry? Are we going to get dinner? Are we, or what are we doing? And I was like, I'm yes, I'm hungry. Yes, I just ate yes, I'll be hungry in 20 minutes. Like that's <laughs> always my answer. Like I always just ate and I'm always hungry. Um, and, and I don't, I don't do as many, I don't burn as many calories as I did when I was, you know, transporting the fruit on the bike, but I, you know, normally around five to 7,000 calories a day is my like input and output. Um, but, but yeah, when you're, when you're biking all day, it's can be 10 to 15,000. So. What, what got you to that point where you, I mean, you're completely vegan, right? If I remember mm -hmm. hearing last time, like what yeah, got you to that point and, and relatively long, young, you were a, you were a teen when you started, when you transitioned. Yeah, I, 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 so I've been vegan plant-based, um, for 12 years and, um, yeah, I, I just tried it off basically a whim when I was 17, I met someone and they were like, you should try eating, eating raw vegan. And, you know, I just started eating a lot of fruit and, and learned along the way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a passion of mine and, and talking about climate change and the, and the, you know, uh, impacts of animal agriculture are, are huge. Um, probably the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and, and CO2 emissions and global warming would be, you know, the, the production of animal products. So, you know, I was passionate about riding my bike and not driving a car, um, to, to try to help the planet. And, um, you know, you can do orders of magnitude more benefit by just like not eating cheese, you know? So, so that's a big <laughs> part of it. Um, and, and then also, you know, for your health as well and, and, um, basically reducing all risk of, you know, of the most common killers, heart disease and, um, you know, and lowering your cholesterol, all, all these things that we all know we should be doing. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a passion of mine for sure. And, and, you know, I love animals too. So, um, it's, it's something that I, I feel great doing and I, I love, uh, trying to inspire others to, to make, uh, changes in their life to, to help the planet, help their health. And, um, and, and so it's, it's a big passion. That's, yeah, a, that's a that's a real commitment. I was gonna say, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, and also what you do is really important if you're thinking about climate change and our stewardship of the earth as well, because you know you can grow oranges a lot of places, but oranges aren't gonna grow well in a lot of places. And you're choosing fruits that are not not necessarily native. Some of them are, but some of them are just you know they're uniquely suited. They're really good in the soil. They're really good with this heat, and they're gonna flourish. So you get. You know, you don't have to pour chemicals or put a ton of time right. and attention into some of these fruits. And people eating them are eating them locally, which, as we know, is a huge impact on our carbon emissions. If you don't have to fly right. to Michigan, it's going to be right. way easier. Well, and and um, you know, we're we're in a super unique spot in in the we're the only place in the continental U.S. that can produce a lot of these uh, tropical fruits. And so, by by producing these tropical fruits here, we're cutting down on emissions to get them all the way from the Amazon uh, to come to you know New York City. We we're we're growing them here locally in the continental U.S. Sure, it could be a little more local. It could be could be in upstate New York, but you you can't grow bananas in upstate New York. 
So, um, so we're passionate about that as well. I don't have grandiose dreams that I, I think that we could produce all of the U.S.'s bananas here. Um, I just I don't think people want to pay that much for bananas. Um, but uh, but it is really cool to to have some crops here and to continue the agricultural economy because I, I think that it's important to have agriculture um, in in every state, right? We, it's important to have some food growing nearby and and with the pandemic everybody seems to be on top of that now and you know uh growing fruit in their backyard and uh, you know getting getting inspired scared of the apocalypse type of stuff but um I, i'm not not scared of the apocalypse but i think okay. it's important to have food around and to, and to be connected a little bit to to growing food and where your food comes from i think it's important for for consumption and for people to you know think about you know food waste and sustainability and eating lower on the food chain and cutting out meat as you know eat meat once a week instead of seven times a week or 21 times a week so um that that's really important yeah so when the zombies come we're coming to your farm we're gonna eat all the fruit and we're gonna live forever i love it thank you for this plan i feel much more secure now <laughs> you're welcome anytime so give us give us an idea if you had to break it down. What are what are three of your favorite fruits? Like three of just like your just you could just eat them all the time. It's it's a tough one. Um, I really like the Anona family, which is sugar apple and soursop. So that whole family is it's kind of a cop out for the question, but that family is is one of my favorites. Um, and uh, the infamous durian. Uh, have you ever tried durian? I have had it. I have had it. I, I think I mentioned it to you in in ice cream. They oh, made yes. like a they made a reduction. They put it in ice cream, and it, it was like a locally done thing. Like they and they had, um, it was it was um like jackfruit in the sense that there's a sweetness to it. Uh, like there's an all out mm -hmm. sweetness to it. It's not an earthy. It's not like a. It's not gritty like pear. It's um. But then there is like, I can only describe it as a funk. <laughs> that yeah. is the kind of like aftertaste in the back of your throat right very, right and so very odd you know it, it, it just like any fruit there's hundreds of varieties of durian so we have that we that we sell online and, and ship all over the country we have probably 10 varieties of durian and they're all very different and um you know the most it's it's a shame the most common and most popular one is more of a not so sweet, more uh, sulfury, garlicky uh, tasting one. But there are durians that just melt in your mouth and are super sweet, taste like custard. Um, there's red durians and yellow durians and, and white durians. So, um, yeah, it's a really cool fruit. And there's a reason it's the king of the fruit because it's, it's, it's pretty badass. Um, and then, uh, what? so that's two families of fruit that I mentioned. Um, there, you showed a slide earlier of the Abiu, which is another one of my favorites. Um, it's just like a super cool sweet fruit, and it's um, got kind of a caramel, a caramel flavor, but it's juicy and and super sweet, and um, it's it's just a, a beautiful fruit. All right, so that in mind, before we let you go, we always play a kiss, Mary kill with food. So usually we'll <laughs> usually we'll give you cafecito, pastelitos and croquetas, and we may do that still. But I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna make you kiss Mary Kill your three kiss favorite. Mary so, Kill, okay. So so and uh, let's say a standard anon, which mm -hmm. uh, sugar apple, um, a durian, 
mm-hmm. and then Abiyu, mm-hmm. which. So if you have to kiss, Mary kill, what's it gonna be? <laughs> well, yeah, probably, probably kiss the Abiyu, marry the uh, unknown. I could eat those every day, and then I have to kill the Durian. Somebody had to kill the king. Yeah, if I had to kill if I had to kill one, it'd be the king. All right, you come at the king. You best not miss. <laughs> you know how it goes. Uh what about what about are you a cafecito pastelito? Oh, my God. Guy? oh yes, yes. They, um, you, you can forget this and they're very good. I definitely I'm already married to coffee, so okay, that okay. one's a given. And it's probably that way for most people, right? Um, and there's an awesome, uh, uh, vegan Cuban place. It's called vegan Cuban cuisine on, on sunset drive. Have you ever been there? I have not. And, but you are the second guest to mention that place. Well, because you're talking about Cuban sandwiches. I got all hungry and and now I'm going to have to go there because, um, it's really good. And I haven't had, uh, you know, non-vegan, I haven't had a a normal non-vegan Cuban sandwich in over 12 years. But uh, to me, it's uh, it's phenomenal. So, um, all right, right. You on. know, definitely, definitely check it out and see. And then, and maybe, maybe you got your meatless Mondays, uh, you know, handed to you there if you if you stop by Vegan Cuban Cuisine. So they've got the the croquetas and all, all kinds of all kinds of good stuff. Um, what was the third one? Uh, pastelito. Are you a pastelito? Pastelitos. Guy? They have pastelitos too. Yeah, no, it's hard to choose between croquetas and pastelitos. Um, yeah, that's Come a hard on. one. Kiss Mary McKill. Come on, man. Uh, okay, so I guess I'll kiss the pastelitos and kill the croquetas. I know that's I know that's not the popular opinion, but there is a, another really good vegan croqueta. Um, Chug's Diner has a black bean croqueta that's amazing. Oh, really? So if you yeah, want to like cool. change it up a little bit, they have really good cool. vegan croquetas. Cool. Cool. Oh, and and that that place, the vegan Cuban cuisine, they have an unreal vegan flan with uh, made wow. with coconut. It's oh, really wow. good. Yeah. Okay, that's on my list now. I haven't had yeah, this that. Yeah, that place was on my list, and it's it's moved uh, it's moved right to the top. So, Rain, <laughs> cool. Rain, thank you so much for making the time to talking with us. I mean, you've gone almost an hour without eating, so I think that like we better let you go before <laughs> no, you. I, I gotta go eat something. Out. I've been making uh, avocado toast every day since it's avocado season. I've got so many avocados here, and and so I gotta make some avocado toast. Dang, now I'm hungry. Thanks, <laughs> thanks again thank for you your for time, having man. me. Um, yeah, it, it's always a pleasure. So anytime you guys want some fruit, come by. All right, man. We'll do it. Take care. Ray. Awesome. Thank Bye, you. Ray. He is a cute fruity guy <laughs> as his, as his partner. Says. I love that. That is so on brand. And no, what? it's so cool to hear about like people who have built their own communities with something that makes Miami so special, like our bizarre fruits. It's so cool to get like a slice of that life for a while. Yeah, it really is, and they're doing something really different, really special. And uh, and now that he's mentioned mentioned uh, uh, vegan Cuban cuisine uh, twice, uh, it's been mentioned twice. I gotta make an effort to. You get gotta it. go, sure. man. I will sure. say that I had a tab. I have a tab open now in Miami Fruit. You mentioned like six fruits I've never heard of. I'm about to place an order. I want to. I want to see what he's click, talking click, about. Click. <laughs> right. Well, Alex, that feels like a show. That felt like a very good show. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining me uh, and 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 helping me uh, talk with Rain. I couldn't have picked a, a better pinch hitter co-host. Um, we'll have Amy back uh, next week. Uh, we may take one week off here as uh, school gets started. Uh, but thanks again for making the time. And uh, that was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. Amy, anytime you want to go on a really long bike ride Thursday morning and miss this, just, you know, call me. I'll be here. She's coming for your job, Amy.